Welcome everyone to a new episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. We are going to start off by jumping into all things Google. We had a series of announcements this week uh, from Google. We'll follow that up with some announcements from Microsoft that are breaking as we record. And uh, we'll close things out with uh, more things that track you every single day. Everything about you. Everything about you. So let's start off with uh, with Google. We had a number of, uh, of Google announcements, a number of new products that they are launching. They announced a $99 Nest audio speaker uh, designed to um, th- really deliver a full audio experience. A better, better bass uh, and a multi-room capability at a $99 price point. Yeah, and I've noticed a number of these products also from Amazon as well and the kind of the Alexa suite. So there was this early period, it felt like, where they were uh, coming out with inexpensive uh, Hmm. devices in order to really, I think, get them into secondary and tertiary rooms where you you might have, uh, you know, my sense is early on in the research I saw that a lot of these were ending up in the kitchen or the, you know, a, a very common room, a family room, and then they wanted to create these where you, you could drive them into bedrooms and bathrooms and basements where you might not, you know, have uh, wanting to spend as much money on them. Now, it seems like they're coming out with um, higher quality ones. We've seen some from, from Amazon and uh, the Alexa. We've seen them now here from from Google and this is kind of the uh, takes the the original Google Home and the Home Max and merges them into one. Yeah, I, I think that's a good description, Sean. I, I heard one fun description of it as uh, looking like a pillow turned on its side. Yeah. It, it has an unusual shape. Uh, and I, I also think you make a great observation about uh, contrasting Amazon and Google's rollouts where Amazon with the incredible retail presence that it has, uh, has more, and the momentum that it has uh, in, in this category, has more leeway to have a range uh, of devices announced. Whereas Google, I think, at this point needs to be a little more conservative. Um, they had already held back on updating their sort of main speaker. Uh, and so they probably felt they had to cover a wider base of use cases with this device. Well, and, and I think Google's other strategy had been to really try to drive a Google Home with screen capabilities because of uh, they obviously have uh, strong platforms in the you know what I'll call screen real estate environments. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. Primarily YouTube and and even search, being able to to visually see search and experience search as we have known search for so long on our on our laptops and our phones. Uh, driving that into the home, but having that uh, that visual experience as well. And and they've done that with some of the Nest devices introduced uh, in the past few years, but uh, their crack at that this time around was the new uh, Chromecast with uh, with Google TV. You know, it marks a return to them trying to get their interface back up on the big screen, which hasn't been super successful for them. Uh, and now they're ready to give it uh, another shot um, by putting it into a, an inexpensive device that offers this casting functionality also that has been more popular. 
Yeah, and this will re essentially replace the Google Play movies and, and TV app. Uh, what's your sense of where this will fit within kind of the, the YouTube TV? I and mean, that had been uh, Google's strategy to drive subscription television into the home through YouTube television. YouTube. Yeah, they're, they're, very, they're very integrated. I mean, you can think of this as sort of their new Apple TV, Roku competitor. Uh, and uh, YouTube TV is, of course, front and center on that. They also made the case for YouTube Music as being a premier uh, service on the uh, the Nest uh, speaker uh, that we just discussed as well. Uh, so there is that that services integration uh, and um, one difference between this Chromecast and previous Chromecasts, uh, where your phone essentially acted as the remote, is that they'll be bundling uh, a remote uh, with this new device since it has inherent functionality, not just uh, taking video from a phone or, or another device. Uh, and, and that remote will have preset buttons for both YouTube and Netflix. Yeah, to, to dry, try to drive you to those most commonly accessed platforms and arguably the ability to do uh, voice search from- mm -hmm. That's uh, a big part of it. Yeah, from remotes. Also an, it'll also have an assistant button. Yeah. yeah, so it makes it much easier to access YouTube content, I think, on a on a television uh, outside of your phone, when you can easily search with voice or or other things like that. Uh, well, where does this leave some of these products? Leave Apple. I mean, we saw when Apple originally la launched the HomePod, they went with what they uh, were touting as a premium audio experience, and it was a high priced um, piece. I argued at the time that it. It wouldn't take much for Amazon or Google to come out with higher fidelity speakers that are also connected to their uh, respective assistants. That's, you know, arguably the direction we see uh, Google going here with with the ninety nine dollar Nest audio speaker. Perhaps not as as high quality, high fidelity as they could go, but at a at a what I'll call a reasonable price point that people might want to bring it into their homes and have an audio, essentially a one room audio experience that they can put in the rooms where they're watch, listening to a lot of audio or, or accessing their assistant frequently. Yeah, it's kind of funny actually that, uh, you know, the two premium guys in, in the smartphone space or most premium guys, Apple and Samsung, uh, Apple, you know, uh, uh, launched the HomePod a few years ago and we haven't really seen a follow up uh, since then, you know, it's, as you know, it's an expensive device, so it has relatively limited uh, market share. And um, Samsung uh, announced a competitor and <laughs> never shipped it. Uh, so both of these uh, companies seem to have been moving cautiously, you might say, in this space. Uh, meanwhile, uh, this week we saw Roku, uh, which has been the master of the inexpensive, uh, or at least was for a long time before attracting all this competition, uh, master of the, the low-cost uh, video streaming box, um, starting to move far more aggressively uh, in, into home audio. Uh, they had already launched a $200 soundbar. They followed that up with a $130 soundbar uh, this week. So, um, uh, you know, they, they acquired a, a home audio company a few years back, uh, and they are moving very aggressively in that space, uh, which raises the question of, 
where does this leave Sonos? Uh, and uh, Sonos is is fighting, uh, you know, this competition on multiple fronts. Um, you know, uh, for example, uh, against the backdrop of of Google launching these new speakers, uh, it extended its its lawsuit uh, against Google for uh, intellectual property uh, theft um, to uh, to include these these new products. Uh, so. So that's uh, that's one tack uh, that it seems to be taking as it gets attacked uh, competitively from a lot of these lower priced uh, and, and networkable products. Uh, yeah, in other kind of Google related uh, news, we saw them add group watch to their duo video chat. So now you can share your screen if you wanted to uh, uh, you know, walk somebody through a tricky part of a game, or you wanted mm-hmm. to even, you know, watch a, a movie together, mm-hmm. you could do that. We saw Disney Plus this week launch their group watch feature where you can essentially sync the stream across multiple households. Right, like Netflix uh, like, watch party. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, then sync the uh, the viewing and you can use chat to, to uh, align with the content. Right. So... Uh, I can see families who are quarantining and, and keeping their social distance doing this to keep their, their kids occupied. They can have a little bit of social interaction while uh, still remaining uh, apart. Uh, you know, you mentioned the, the Sonos lawsuit with Google. Uh, Google's a, a far bigger lawsuit may be coming, right? Yes, we've got uh, a number of... Uh, of uh, you know, uh, potential lawsuits coming Google's way. Um, China is reportedly beginning an antitrust investigation after a Huawei complaint. And uh, the U.S. Department of Justice is uh, rumored to be announcing uh, an antitrust case against Google in the next week. Uh, we, We know that next week we'll have the U.S. House Judiciary Antitrust Report that will will uh, be coming out. So a lot of uh, potential antitrust news headed Google's way and, and antitrust concerns. Uh, this this Sonos lawsuit may be the the small uh, uh, concern on the docket after some of these other things come to light. Well, certainly attacking a, a very small part of their business, whereas the the DOJ uh, action is intended to focus on search, which is uh, of course far and away their their major revenue driver. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, I'm sure we'll have more to say on that, uh, that next week. Uh, any, anything else you want to add about Google? Of course, the, the, yeah, we should mention the phone, the big news, right. And it's, it's interesting. (laughs) Maybe not so big (laughs) saved that for last was the the announcement of the pixel five phone, uh, priced at six 99. Um, you know, given all the phones that we've talked about and all the phones that we've seen launched in the last couple of weeks, 699 is really a bargain price for a, a, a new smartphone. Uh, they also announced the uh, Pixel 4a with 5G support, of course, that was delayed from earlier in the year as uh, COVID pushback launch dates, but also probably impacted the ability to bring new new products to market. As I've talked to manufacturers, uh, they, they're still struggling with how to do some of these things remotely that they used to historically do in the office or uh, when they would visit and go on site it makes it much more difficult. Uh, 
we know the numbers are likely to be much smaller for the Pixel 5. Rumors are that they are uh, planning about a million. Uh, last year, Google shipped 7.2 million Pixel smartphones, a little less than their target of, of 8 million to 10 million, according to IDC. Uh, but uh, but double essentially the number that they had shipped in 2018. So um, well, you know they they had a hit on their hands with the uh, the Pixel 3a. Uh, it uh, provided uh, you know very strong imaging capabilities, which is a high consumer priority uh, at a very attractive price. And um, you know certainly in terms of uh, a competitive response. Uh, Apple has delivered that with the iPhone SE. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's you know they're necessarily head to head, but they're they're at that price point. Uh, and uh, I think it just reflects you know Google continuing to try to find its way in this very crowded category that they entered late, uh, where you know you where, where the carrier channel at least in the U.S. is dominated by uh by samsung and you know the other brands just kind of fight over the scraps you know essentially um and uh they have a limited lineup uh, again unlike samsung uh or or even lg um and uh and you know while while the phone is value priced that, that'll certainly make it more attractive than a phone at 1500 or, or two thousand dollars there, there's a lot out there in the market uh, at at that price point. So, um, uh, Google's uh, failure to grab a lot of market share in this space has raised questions about how long they intend to be there. And uh, the response from Google has basically been, "We're in it for the long term." You know, we see an opportunity to integrate services, and we saw further evidence of that uh, this week with this uh, "Hold for Me" feature, where you can have the phone notify you when uh, a human has come back on the phone to answer your question. Is it a nice feature? Sure. Is it the kind of thing that's going to provide the kind of differentiation needed to sway someone uh, to buy a Pixel phone? I don't know, Sean, when was the last time this was such a frustrating issue for you that you said, oh man, I'm going to throw away my phone and, and get something that can solve this for me? Yeah, if only I had a phone that could... That could hold for me, hold yes. Hold for me. Uh, and, yeah. and actually, you know, you see a lot of companies integrating that, that uh, service into their own call center Right. Call me back. Right. Yeah, call you back. Yeah. So, uh, but, but I think your point is, is valid that we're at a point where phones are, are seeking differentiation and companies are trying to differentiate themselves. You've got two behemoths, but even those behemoths are, are trying to differentiate themselves. Uh, we talked about the, you know, number of the, the, the Microsoft duo. We talked about right. the, uh, the LG. Folding. The wing, wing. Right, right. Um, which, by the way, Ross, you you were right on the price point, right? I was well, announced this closer. week. It'll be ninety nine, uh, nine hundred ninety nine dollars, just under a thousand dollars. I just not, think that reflects, you know, the kind of value proposition they can make for it versus something that's really aimed more at enhancing productivity, like those more expensive devices from Microsoft and Samsung. Yeah, and and with the, you know, with the X-Wing, there's no clear use case scenario. I think they're hoping that use case scenarios emerge, but 
you know, as I look at the market today, you've got a number of companies that are trying to differentiate around form factors, mm-hmm. trying to redefine what the phone is. Uh, there was a time where, for, I would say the last three years, where they were focused on augmenting the hardware features. So that's where the you know the refresh cameras, rates yeah, yeah refresh rates cameras come in um you know they announced that the pixel 5 will have the largest battery of of any phone that they've ever made so uh, you know you focus on those type of augmentations 5G. yep 5g 5g though, though 5G i would argue cycle. i would argue that the you know battery size is less meaningful when most of us are spending the majority of our time now in our homes we're not on the go we're close to a wall outlet. We don't necessarily need to to have unlimited battery life. Fair, fair point. Except that five G is also kind of you know puts more strain on a battery. So yeah, that's yeah. another reason why now might be good timing for it. Sure, so. sure. So I I think you see a lot of companies that are trying to uh, we're moving from augmentation to differentiation, and so they're trying to differentiate the form factor. And then you have Google here saying we're not going to really differentiate the form factor. But we're going to try to differentiate some of the the software experience, right? And so, and I would argue that um, hold for me, yeah, it's a, a nice feature. It's not going to probably uh, persuade a lot of people to go buy the phone. But I presume it's just the opening act that we're going to see a lot more of this. And, and I do think Google can be successful there in differentiating the experience from a software perspective. They they may never win the hardware battle, but, but over time, the software, you know, win the software, mm. eat, eat the world. As, right. Right. You know, as they say, and, and does, Mark Anderson. yeah, does the uh, software become the real differentiation in the, the smartphone? And I think we're, we're at a period where I'm not convinced that some of the hardware differentiation we're seeing is really going to be meaningful, but the software mm. differentiation, especially with, uh, you know, some AI and some some sensors could really be a, a differentiating experience for, for users. It also raises the question of how many of these goodies they keep to themselves uh, moving right. forward. So um, historically, when Google would introduce new features on its Pixel phones, after maybe a few months, a year at most, uh, they would migrate to other Android phones and even, even iPhones. Uh, and then last year, they introduced this voice recording app, uh, transcribing app, I should say, uh, that's uh, very impressive, does all the work offline. Uh, and so far, that has not migrated. Uh, so, um, you know, if, if they can do it, surely other companies can do it. Uh, and I expect, you know, Apple and Microsoft will will get that done offline. Uh, but um, But at least for now, you know, they're saying... This is exclusive to the Pixel. And I, th- I think if they're serious about, about being a major player in the hardware category and not, you know, in the past, the Google hardware was really to, to highlight what Android was capable of and what Android mm-hmm. can do. And it was really about, about showcasing Android. If they're serious about being a major competitor in the, in the hardware category, then I do think they'll have to have some things that are... Uh, proprietary. And you look at Apple, you know, recognizing that it probably can't make a lot of the hardware capabilities proprietary. It, it does keep iMessage and other things like, like that, 
uh, proprietary to the hardware and to, and to the platform in order to continue to differentiate its, itself from its competitors. And, and so while Apple is rolling a lot of services out onto uh, a lot of other de- devices from competitors, arguably, uh, they haven't done so yet with iMessage, and I don't think they will because it's still a, a key differentiation to the iPhone experience when a lot of the hardware is starting to look pretty similar. Has been for a while, sure. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, so I think I think we'll see more, and I think you know Google might be well positioned if if they can bring some interesting services to that platform and keep them somewhat proprietary. It, um, you know, one of the reasons iMessage works so well, though, is because you have uh, the big uh, network, a network effect, right? And Google has tried that with Duo, but again, you know, just kind of arriving late uh, and uh, a crowded space. You would think that if if it could, if it didn't catch on during the pandemic, you know, that was probably its its best opportunity. So. Yeah, yeah, with people willing to change and right. And uh, it, so now rotating from Google. Good, good segue to talk about Microsoft's first party efforts. Yes. Yes. Uh, we saw Microsoft announce this week uh, their new Surface Laptop Go at uh, $549, really aiming to compete with uh, Chromebooks and, and to try to be attractive to maybe some of those who are, are looking for Chromebooks. It's the newest Surface laptop, it'll be smaller, lighter, and uh, and less powerful. They also took the opportunity to update the Surface Pro X with a, a faster processor and uh, a new color, because uh, when you really want to differentiate, you seem to add a new color <laughs> in. Uh, that's starting at $1,500. And then we saw some other announcements that uh, Windows is coming to ARM and will be... That- yeah, that uh, the the uh, historically or up till now, um, Windows on ARM was not able to run uh, 64-bit uh, x86 apps. So if, if if an app was was a 64-bit app for Intel or AMD-based PCs, you could not run it on a product like the Surface Pro X. And moving forward, that is going to change. So uh, in theory, that should remove a major obstacle. Uh, to the the sales of PCs based on Qualcomm processors, so yeah. so that should bring more apps to uh, the, to this Surface Pro X line and, and other and, products, right? Yeah, and products and uh, and obviously bring more users, at, at least they hope, uh, to the to the platform. Uh, so you know, I think we we see Microsoft very committed to the the surface line trying to ex- expand the surface line both in in functionality as well as in breadth by bringing in uh, l- lower price points and and arguably competing with other product classes in that space yeah i, I think uh these announcements really provide a, 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 an interesting contrast a, a nice look kind of at both sides of the surface mission if you will so you know here you have these qualcomm based pcs uh not selling in huge numbers today uh some compatibility challenges and yet microsoft is pushing forward right uh you know releasing this even more powerful version of the surface pro x uh, they're going to keep the old one, the current one, by the way, in the lineup at at nine ninety nine, uh, and um, uh, and 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 doing the work, you know, as an operating system vendor to make the proposition better for 
other licensees uh, that are creating laptops uh, with this architecture or two-in-ones like like Lenovo, like Samsung, uh, like HP. They, they hinted that there's something new coming from HP before the end of the year. And yet, you know, as we just talked about with Google, they have to pay their bills, you know, so they, they have to contribute uh, financially. And so uh, this Surface Laptop Go is, is I would argue, you know, their most uh, attractive, the most attractive device uh, that they've probably ever produced. Um, it's differentiated by a, a three by two aspect ratio as all the Surface laptops and tablets uh, are. Uh, it's, it's very usable, almost a 13-inch display, 12.4-inch display. It's got the clamshell form factor that's very familiar. Uh, it also comes in a few very nice colors. I am particularly fond of the ice blue myself. Uh, and uh, at five, starting at 550, I mean, that is uh, right in the heart of the PC mid-range. Um, so, you know, for years we talked about okay, you know, Microsoft has all these high-end uh, PC, high-end laptops, and, you know, these form factors that kind of push the space forward, but don't really compete very aggressively against, you know, the big guys, HP, Dell, uh, Lenovo. Well, you know, at least the gloves are beginning to come off. Uh, and uh, this uh, this looks very, I mean, to the extent that, that, People are going back to to school. You know, th this is a a very much a very strong back to school type product. What do you think Microsoft is willing to go down into that? How low, how low will you go? Yeah, into that yeah. that core PC and and you know compete against ultimately the their uh, vendors that have have had a long term symbiotic relationship. Microsoft produces the software, and and then the hardware vendors produce the you know the hardware. Um, does it? Do you think it starts to change that dynamic with those vendors? We haven't seen anything from from Dell or HP or others really kind of pushing against Microsoft. We haven't seen any sh shots across the bow, if you will. Well, I mean, actually, you know, and, and again, relevant to our Google discussion, I. I think Microsoft has been uh, very much willing to turn away uh, when they see uh, companies, their partners, uh, stealing, if you will, or borrowing some of the things introduced on Surface. So, right. so after they introduced Surface, we saw two-in-one, similar two-in-one devices with the removable keyboard, you know, with the, and kickstands, you know, from a number of their partners. Uh, and you know, I asked Microsoft about that. I'm like, aren't these guys infringing on anything you've done? And the thought was. Yeah, maybe, you know, but we're not pursuing it. You know, we, we encourage it. You know, we think it's good for the ecosystem. Uh, in terms of, I, I think price point is the kind of the more interesting question, um, uh, which is uh, what, what does Microsoft as a PC brand represent? And I think they've worked hard uh, over the past few years to make it stand for quality. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of engineering that goes into their devices. Uh, and so I think if they were to aggressively attack that, you know, $300 and under segment, it needs to be another approach. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be 
a, a Windows device, you know, as, as we understand it today. They have a lot of options, you know, particularly now that they have a very strong browser in, in Edge. Uh, and there have been a lot of rumors about Windows Lite and what Windows 10X is turning into. Or, you know, I wrote a column a while back about whether it's time for an Edge book, right? I think also under that price, uh, it's not just about something being affordable. It's about something being very manageable, you know, in, in kind of, say, an education deployment uh, environment. You know, that's another reason why Chromebooks have uh, have enjoyed such success there. So uh, I guess stay tuned. But uh, again, my takeaway from the Laptop Go is that uh, they're feeling pretty good about the comfort level uh, of going uh, going deeper into the, the mainstream of the PC market. Well, and, and to your point around back to school, there is just so much demand right now for mm -hmm. PCs. Good point, yep. As everybody is trying to outfit classrooms in the home and, and working from home environments, there's a, a strong demand for multiple PCs uh, in, uh, you know, in, in the home. School districts are acquiring PCs and probably looking for lower price points. So uh, the, I would argue the, the market is growing right now, which is probably why some of the vendors might might be feeling yeah, good timing. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent point, Sean. Yeah. yeah now's less, a good time to do it. Less pressure. So we'll see right. if that's true next year. Uh, yeah. You know, if the demand stays as high um, or, or if that changes. Uh, in, in the final story we wanted to get to is a uh, announcement from Amazon. They unveiled their Amazon One, which is a biometric technology that lets shoppers pay using their palm. It's coming to two Amazon Go stores in Seattle. Arguably, will roll out to other Amazon Go stores and then uh, be available to, to retail partners. It, it allows you to essentially swipe your palm at a kiosk and, and pay for your order. Uh, presumably your palm has been uh, previously uploaded to uh, AWS. So <laughs> in the face of all of our uh, privacy concerns, Amazon here wants to record more, not less of your uh, personal information and then use it to, uh, to allow to, you to create conveniences to you know, check out just a little bit faster, not dip that credit card, but just swipe your swipe your palm. Uh, yeah, as as Amazon historians uh, know, um, Jeff Bezos considered calling the company relentless, and and I think that that uh, is captured in this initiative, right? Um, yeah. What what is the last bit of friction that we can take out of of a purchasing experience at a store where you don't have to check out, right? It's it's this idea of even having to scan the QR code or whatever on my phone. Um, so. You know, this will shave could could shave another twenty seconds, uh, you know, off the experience, uh, as well as uh, telling you about your future uh, and uh, whether you will come into a lot of money and and how how your lifeline uh, is is looking um, uh, with it with a free palm reading. So that that could be an extra bonus. Yeah, could be a <laughs> service that they'll you know send to your Amazon part of Prime Alexa. Yes. Yeah, Prime. If you're a Prime member, you can get free, palm, <laughs> free reading. palm reading. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, and I know Ross, you wrote this week for ZDNet about the HP's Reverb 2, which is adding in additional sensors 
uh, and allowing you to record a lot of ad additional health-related, uh, if you will, information to to um, kind of change the the experience, uh, to change how simulations and, and trainings are performed. So you you see uh, a lot of companies looking at how can we use some of these sensors in in new ways. Yeah, it really, I mean, unlike the Amazon thing where it's uh, it's very much a consumer play, uh, this is a, a B2B um, play. Uh, and um, uh, the idea is really to close the feedback loop um, when people are undergoing uh, exercises in VR, right? So afterward, you can ask them, hey, you know, were you stressed out when you, you know, when, when the geese flew into the engine uh, as you were, you know, going through your flight training there? <clears throat> Uh, and instead of having to do that and rely on that, uh, you will be able to measure their heart rate uh, and uh, track their their eye movements uh, and and look at their facial expressions to to optimize uh, the uh, the experience and gauge the effectiveness of the training uh, in a more pedestrian application. Uh, for example, one of their application partners is Ovation, uh, which does software. Uh, VR software for helping people with public speaking skills. Uh, so, you know, you can measure how someone's heart rate is progressing as they get through a speech. You can you can get a better idea of where they're looking in the audience, uh, so as to whether they're making more effective eye contact. Um, so, uh, you know, Sean, to your point, uh, HP definitely recognizes the privacy implications of of what they're doing, uh, and obviously, you know, makes many assurances that this was designed uh, with preserving uh, privacy in, in mind. Yeah, and, it, and it, uh, to your point, it looks like they're, uh, you know, primarily keeping it to business yes. uh, customers and, and they're not making the Omnicep edition, at least now, available to, uh, to consumers or to gamers. So um, you'll see that really showing up in enterprise-type applications where uh, uh, due, due to ship next year so yeah. that's going to be a little while anyway yeah, yeah we'll see well that's a good place to uh, wrap up this episode of Techspansive. thanks again for joining we hope that you will join next week in the meantime i am sean dubrovac and you can find me on twitter at sean dubrovac and uh i'm ross rubin you can find me on twitter uh at ross rubin <laughs> <laughs>